So I'm walking around this morning, started looking at all the clocks, and I realized, man, has time changed. That was the best I could do. With that, we turn to Hebrews 11, and we're looking at one verse together, and and you're thinking, uh, having uh, sat um, with me through chapters and chapters and books and books, you're thinking, of course we are. But with that, we also look back at verses 1 through 2 to be reminded of what Hebrews 11 teaches us about faith. Reminded that it tells us, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Now, if you recall, this assurance is, is, um, is an assurance to our hearts. It is an assurance that we are passive in, just to kind of give you the grammar idea behind it, that we are passive in of God assuring us with our faith. That God was assuring, he was commending the saints of the Old Testament, as they are called, the, the people of old, by the fact that they had faith in the truth that he had revealed about himself to them. Most often, the focus of that truth, at least in terms of saving faith, was that his salvation was coming. His anointed one was coming, who would bring salvation. And we look specifically here this morning at the application in the life of Noah that we see in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. First idea I want you to take away from this. And obviously being the God of Noah is the God of the New Testament, is the God of today. Trust the God of Noah. Now it's really tempting, it was, it was, I had to get kind of over this hurdle as I was studying and preparing for this. Because in many ways uh, we, we would like to uh, look at the things unseen. I would like to look at the things unseen in terms of unseen of the past, from that epoch of time in which Noah lived in, pre, that pre-flood epoch that we, we can't wrap our minds around. That's what makes it a different epoch of time. I would like to look at that in terms of let's look at the geological evidence. Let's look at the anthropological evidence of the flood of Noah's day. But Noah's faith was of something unseen that was coming. That's the application that's made here. That's the thought that was given here. Uh, but if you would like to go back and say, okay, what about this uh, epoch of time back from Noah's day? You, you could go on to the church website and you could go back to October 28th from 2018. Uh, the series was... Salvation from Horrific Judgment, and it was a part of our walk through Genesis 1 through 12, in which we looked at the God of the ages, 
the God of these different epochs of time that are described in those chapters. So if you want to look back on the things unseen, speaking of the things from the past from Noah's day, you can do that. But we're going to do as Noah was called to do. He was called to look forward to what he had never seen, but yet he was told was going to be happening. So let's uh, look at the life of Noah, or as far as what we see here and what we're told as informs us for verse 7 of Hebrews 11. From Genesis chapter 6, we learn, the Lord saw, this is, this is in the days of Noah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when, when we read here and, and we look back on the life of Noah here, because as I mentioned, going through Hebrews 11, I think it's important for us to kind of catch up on our education. And there's some of us sitting out there that's like, man, you mentioned Noah. I didn't get read those books. I didn't uh, sit in Sunday school. I didn't sit through those lessons. I feel like I don't, I don't, everybody else knows who Noah is and I don't. Um, you're not alone. Okay. So we're taking the time to look back at uh, these people of faith that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. So that's why we revisit Genesis 6. Uh, but I want you to understand when it says here that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord during those days, the term of what is meant there by that he found favor is that he found grace. It doesn't mean that God looked at Noah and said, there's a guy I can use. Noah received grace. In fact, the Greek translation of this term in the Septuagint is the same that we see throughout the New Testament for grace. It's charis. Yeah, charis carpenter is named for grace from the Greek. He found charis. He found grace from God. This is what enabled Noah to be different. So we pick up back in Genesis 6 again. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. These are the outgrowths of the grace that Noah had received from God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you want to go back to those sermons uh, from about Noah from 2018, you can. We talked a little bit about how these sons, their descendants, spread out and make up all of the the populations of the earth today. But move uh, back to back to Genesis six. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark 
And God went on to describe for Noah what this ark should look like. And I think that there's probably a revelation that God made to Noah with more specifics that we don't have recorded in Genesis 6. But continue on in verse 18 where God says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. Now, now understand that God has always worked his grace through covenant relationship. All right, we saw that throughout uh, the book of Hebrews, especially in Hebrews 10, speaking about the new covenant. Then we see in verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then pick up in chapter 7 of Genesis, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household. Here we're, we're 100 years later, at least 100 years later, uh, that it, what it, of what it took to, to build this ark. Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And then we see this statement again in verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And he did this because of the first statement made about Noah, that Noah had found grace from God, a grace to obey. We're told in in, uh, Hebrews that it was by faith that Noah did these things. Let me ask you something. If you you, uh, decided last night that instead of uh, springing your clocks an hour forward, you were going to say uh, spring means to for them to spring backward an hour later. Everybody else, man, they're, they're, they're going get, to be getting an hour less of sleep. I'm getting an hour more of sleep. Let's say that that's what you headed out on. You could have had all the confidence in the world. But this morning you had to have found yourself having then to adjust to a two-hour difference in the world around you. It would have just ended up being a greater uh, disappointment. Uh, Not only finding that your confidence was unfounded, but then finding, now I've got to change two hours instead of one. Your belief would have only been worth what was, how true was the idea that you were putting your faith in. Okay, let me say that again. Your belief, no matter how strong, only would have been worth as much as the truth of the idea you were putting your faith into. It wouldn't have turned out to be true at all. In fact, you would have just have to, again, just make up for the difference even more so. We live with a a belief about God in our day, even in many evangelical churches, that is worthless. And that is that Man is the center of the universe. That I and my desires and what I think God should be about and doing is is the center of the world. And I call it man-centered theology. And God is like my uh, butler 
God is like my Santa Claus. God is like my, uh, this planet orbiting around me, and I am at the center. This is not true. The, these, this is the type of thinking that asks, how could a loving God do such a thing as the flood? I mean, it's his job to protect people, not wipe them out. How, you know, it's this type of belief that would have asked about Abel that we learned about last week. How could a loving God let something so terrible happen to a good man like Abel? But, but this is the, uh, follows the idea that we, mankind, we are sovereign. And God is morally responsible to us. That somehow we define what's good. That somehow we define what God should be about. And it's his responsibility to live up to those expectations. That's man-centered theology. And many, especially in America, put their faith in those beliefs. But the fact is this, our universe is centered around God. Our lives are intended to be, are to be centered around him. God is sovereign, and man is morally responsible to him. It is our responsibility to serve him. It is our responsibility to worship him. It is our responsibility to live for him. Being warned by God was a grace for Noah. And Noah's right response was in reverence fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. The world's faith in progress or humanity is worthless because it does not save them. And they're only that much further from believing the truth. Like a person that wakes up this morning and realizes, now I've got to change my clock two hours. Because I believed in something that was worthless. <clears throat> I read about a blacksmith who was training an apprentice. And he said, I want you to follow my instructions carefully. Okay? I'm going to give you the mallet, the hammer. And I'm heating up the horseshoe. And I'm going to take the horseshoe out. And I'm going to put it on the anvil. And when I nod my head, I want you to hit it. Well, he followed his instructions, and that was his last day on the job. <laughs> Obedience is super important, super important. Following instructions is an important way that we live in a trusting relationship with God. But we better make sure that we're understanding the instructions that he's giving. I want to challenge you from the example of Noah. Trust God enough to obey him. Trust God enough to obey him. We read, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, I do this kind of thing um, where I will outline a verse. Uh, our small group is familiar with this as we've been moving through Romans 8, you know, my, uh, outlining a verse. And so kind of Cutting through to understand what is being said here. It's pretty simple in outlining the verse. You know, you got subject and verb. Sorry to take you back to English here. Okay? Uh, but you can see in red, the subject is Noah. What did Noah do? He constructed an ark. 
That's the that's the like that's what's being said here. Noah constructed an ark. Okay? Now, he did this by faith. And we're informed by chapter ver- chapter um, verse 1 that it was with assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It was by faith that he constructed this ark. He constructed this ark being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, not yet seeing God acting to judge the evil of man. But still, he constructed the ark. He likely hadn't even seen rain before. If you want to, you can, you can go back to the, to the uh, messages on uh, Genesis 6 if you want to you know, hear more about that. But he, he likely had not even seen rain on the earth. Yet he was being told, I'm going to send rain. He, he was building this ark nowhere near water. Yet he constructed the ark. He did this in reverent fear or reverential awe of God. And all of this had the extremely practical purpose that was dear to Noah for the saving of his household. What did he do? He obeyed. Trust God enough to obey him. Peter describes those days when Noah worked and sacrificed diligently as being, you can read in 1 Peter 3 verse 20. This was a, these were days when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah and his family, were brought safely through water. The ark, the, the flood, it's an event of salvation and preservation just as much as it is one of judgment. God didn't have to save Noah and his family, but he did. And Noah was saved by faith. That's the point of Hebrews 11. And and the ark and the flood, it shows us just how devastating is the pent-up destruction of the wrath of God against sin. Yet God's God's righteous wrath, it was not satisfied at that time. Can you believe that? It was not fully extended in those days. And that flood of the earth, it pales in comparison to the flood of wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. The ark also shows us how gracious God is to those who experience his grace. To be saved from the flood of his righteous judgment. Noah and his family fled to the ark for salvation from the flood. And I plead with you that you have received salvation through Christ from the flood of wrath that is to come at Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9-10 through 10, describe the Thessalonian church, and it should describe us as those who turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The New Testament in numerous places, in describing Noah's flood and in describing that ark, pleads with its readers, and I plead with you, just as, just as Noah and his family 
fled to the ark from salvation from that flood. We are called to flee to the sacrifice of Christ. Recognizing that our sins were laid on him and that his righteousness is offered to us to cover us. And to save us from the destruction that we deserve because of sin. Warren Wearsby describes chapter 11 of Hebrews as saying, "Faith, uh, the story of Abel, Abel's account is faith worshiping. Enoch's account is faith walking. And Noah, the account of Noah is faith working. This brings us to think about James and his argument of what saving faith looks like. Think of what James writes in in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? What if Noah spent those hundred years saying, God, I believe you. God, I believe that you are going to send this flood. God, I believe you that you're going to save me by this ark. But yet he just sat there and didn't build an ark? Would that have helped him? No, not at all. It doesn't mean that his, his faith was null and void. It means that if his faith didn't lead to his action, his faith wasn't saving faith. Or as we've seen throughout Hebrews, saving faith is persevering faith. James here in chapter 2 verse 14 is asking a rhetorical question which is expected to be answered when he says, Can that faith save him? The answer is to be no. A person is not saved whose faith is only a matter that they claim to follow Christ with no obedience to show for it. This verse is discussing the person who claims to be a Christian in name only. We call them nominal Christians. Nominal meaning in name only. And Noah is an excellent example of someone whose faith was evidenced by his obedience. Noah responded to God's warning and commands by faith, with faith. He was warned about events that he had never seen, that he had never even imagined could happen. He responded in respectful awe to the one who could and would do as he promised to do. His response of obedience involved constructing an ark over a span of a hundred years. A hundred years of commitment, a hundred years of ridicule, a hundred years of financial expense. You know, Noah would have paid for wood. Noah would have paid workers. I mean, if you've been to the Ark experience in in, uh, Kentucky, even a hundred years, you know, Four guys are not going to put, be able to put that together. This would have been at huge personal expense. In the end, Noah's effort was for the purpose of saving his household from destruction. You know, we're told in James 2, verses 14 through 17, kind of an illustration of this idea where he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
Now, he's not saying, so if you have saving faith, that means you should be providing for every poor person you run across. No, he's saying, how, how, how helpful is it for a person that's hungry for them to say, oh, I feel for you? It's worthless. In the same way, it's just as worthless to say, oh, yeah, I believe that. But it's not changing the life. Noah is our illustration of the fact that by faith, he did what God called him to do. James applies this illustration of worthlessness, of sending off the hungry with a blessing by saying, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's not saying the faith needs works to make it powerful. He's saying the faith that does not work is a dead faith. Don't rely on it. Don't trust. Don't expect it to be saving. Saving faith is a living faith. It's an act of assurance of things hoped for. Living as if they are right around the corner. It's a conviction of things not seen. Living living as if it's so present we can't look away from it. Even though it's unseen. Do you pray as if God, it might actively move the hand of God? Do you decide what to watch as if Jesus is sitting right next to you? Because he is. Do you treat your spouse and your kids as the ones that you will give an account to God for how you cared for them? Because you will. Does your bank statement reflect the fact that, as the poem says, your one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last? Do you believe that? I also want to challenge you from the example of Noah to trust God enough to seem out of place. Trust God enough to seem out of place We say by this, uh, both by his faith and his faith uh, working out in his life, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, Now notice, again, this righteousness does not come by faith plus works. The whole illustration of Noah's life here is that his righteousness came to him by faith. And that saving faith resulted in his works. Noah also was preaching repentance without response for that hundred years. 2 Peter 2 calls him a herald of righteousness or a preacher of, of righteousness, which would have included the coming judgment. Even when he was the only person who walked with God, It didn't deter him from responding in faith. From the example of Noah trusting God, from the example of Noah, I want to challenge you. Trust God enough to seem out of place as a warning of God's eternal judgment. When it says that he condemned the world, this doesn't mean that Noah ruled like a judge declaring the world guilty. 
Instead, Noah's life highlighted the rebellion against God in the world around him. Noah's life did so by the fact that he lived by that grace that he had received by faith. You know, uh, the CEO of Disney was asked over this past week why he's not getting on board, why, why Disney is not coming out and making a statement of the LGBTQ movement and their support of it. You know what his response was? His response was, we are choosing to change culture with the products that we create. We are in agreement with this movement, but rather than outwardly speaking on it, our plan is to change the culture by the products that we create. At some point, you're probably going to have to be that odd parent or that odd grandparent that has to say, we don't let our kids watch the new Disney stuff. Okay? I'm not attacking Disney here. But I'm saying, like Noah, at some point, we're going to appear pretty odd to the world. And the world doesn't like it. Because it tells them there's something wrong here. At some point, we're going to be that kid that is the only one standing there saying, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. Or as I like to say, the emperor is not a dude. You know, that's probably what it's going to sound like. Sorry, that's just my little joke. But For too long, God's people have, have been allowed others to intimidate us with the verse, judge not lest you be judged. Understand something, folks, here. This term, when Jesus says this, he is warning us against thinking that we are the judge and jury, that we have the ability to send someone to hell, like we are able to say, you know what? Go to hell. That, that's, that's what that statement is saying. It's the judgment that Jesus is warning against. Condemn not to hell. We need to lovingly point out that there is a judgment coming. Can you see how the enemy has undermined that witness in the church with that simple, uh-uh, judge not lest you be judged. Noah's action, Noah's words, Noah's life was illustrating the fact that there is a judgment coming. And it was a message of love, not condemnation. It was a message of warning we need to share the bad news if we hope that our friends and neighbors will understand salvation through faith in Christ as being the good news that allows them to be saved from judgment. Also, from the example of Noah, trust God enough to seem out of place as a citizen of God's eternal kingdom. We're told that he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So by faith, just as we are, Noah became an heir of righteousness, just as we are. Noah's faith, uh, it was by his faith. And Noah had held a conviction of what had not been seen, that a coming judgment was real. He had an assurance of what he hoped for of being saved from that judgment. 
And God's grace through Noah's faith allowed him to be a saint that we will fellowship with in heaven. It has always been by faith in God's salvation. It has never been by works. And knowing Christ is your Savior, you also are an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. What you look forward to at the reading of God's will, if you will, not with the death of God, but at the reading of his will is that you are an heir of his righteousness by faith in Christ. As we're told in Romans 8, 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And as we wait with patience, it is very similar to Noah's day. As our Lord told us in Matthew 24, concerning the day and hour, and he's talking about his return, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until that the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he tells us in verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord, your Lord is coming. Trust God enough to seem out of place during these days as we wait for him by faith. Noah's trust and obedience made the world uncomfortable and guilty even more of ignoring the truth that he proclaimed. Noah stands for us as one who, whose faith led to his being declared righteousness and meant his obedience. You know, imagine if you were riding on a train and you know that it is heading off of a cliff. Uh, my son and I were watching a video of this, this guy that was, was uh, doing kind of a video blog of what it's like to ride an Amtrak train across the country from Chicago to Los Angeles. And it was pretty cool to see. We, we've always kind of wanted to do that, you know. But, but imagine that at some point, that train is headed right off a cliff. But you know it. And you know that the one who has told you, the one who you have put your faith in to save you from it, has also said, stand up. Don't sit with everybody else. Stay standing. You hear over the PA, we invite you to be seated and enjoy your ride. But you're thinking, I'm not going to sit down. The one who is saving me from this has also told me to make my stand. The other passengers are saying, sit down, you're making us nervous. Well, will you just relax? The attendant is saying, you know, only the passengers that are sitting can receive their meal. Only the passengers that are sitting can, can enjoy the pleasures of this ride. But the one who has saved you from that destruction has told you, stand up. The Bible makes it clear that our world is on a collision course with judgment. 
And the world offers us plenty of things that promise to satisfy our longings. We have longings for security. We have longings for intimacy, accomplishment, um, appreciation, assurance. And the world is saying, you know, married woman, if the love is gone in your marriage, well, you know, you need to pursue your need for, for, in, uh, for intimacy outside of your marriage then. Or, or, hey, here's some false intimacy of pornography. This will fulfill that desire for intimacy. Or, or accomplishment. Hey, just, just dive fully into your job. Put as many hours into it as possible because it's going to fulfill at some point that longing for accomplishment. These are God-given longings that we have. But they're not going to be fulfilled on this earth. As the poet once said, if, if there are longings in my life that are not going to be fulfilled on this earth, it must mean that I was made for another place. And, and the def, basically a definition of sin is pursuing the fulfillment of those God-given longings outside of the boundaries that God has put on them. Bound and determined, I'm going to get that need met no matter what I have to do. But it's not going to be fulfilled here. The world offers us plenty of things that promise to satisfy our longings. And they're basically saying, sit down, enjoy yourself. Just enjoy the ride. Noah's situation is pointed to in Second Peter again in describing the judgment that is still to come. Addressing the scoffers that doubt the coming judgment from God. In relationship to, he, he's speaking of relationship to the flood of Noah's day and the flood of judgment that is still to come. He says this, For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, meaning at creation. And by means of these, the water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He, he's saying the, the, the people that are scoffing today are ignoring the fact that there were scoffers in the past. And that that world was destroyed by water. But this world will be destroyed by fire. And he goes on in Second Peter and asks the questions that we should take away from Noah's experience. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, meaning by fire, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells i want to challenge you Trust God enough to seem out of place. 
You don't want to fit in here. You do not want to fit in here. Let's bow our heads.